Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 39. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we told you last week we were going to talk about Big Bunny today. And here we are, ready to talk about it. Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. This is an interesting movie because Disney at the time, like, they, they weren't really doing sequels. The ones that they were doing were going, like, straight to VHS. This is the first one that I can recall as a kid being like, wow, a Disney sequel that I actually get to go see in the theaters. Yeah, I remember this being kind of a big deal. Yeah, it was It was sort of out of character for them. But I, I remember, I, did you see this one in theaters? I think I did. I definitely remember like the buzz about it though, especially with the Hard Rock Cafe and the guitar. Like I remember that being really prevalent in the trailer, but I think I did see this in theaters. Yeah, I definitely saw it with my dad and my brother. And I my parents, they were just starting to plan a trip to Las Vegas when this movie came out and they had been talking about the Hard Rock. So I remember seeing it as a kid and being like, oh, that's where mom and dad are going to go. And I, I don't know why. I just thought it was, it was, to me, it was more exciting than it actually should have been. But I guess it's because it was the first time I ever saw a movie where I actually could like put the place on the map. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that is really funny that you were so excited about it because it's not like you were the one that was getting to go to Vegas. No, and as a five-year-old, you don't care about Las Vegas. You have no vested interest in Vegas. But I guess because it was the first thing where it was it was a real place. Like, even though I had seen movies that were based on a true story, this was a real place that my parents were going to go see, and it made it feel like a... Like stupid. It made it feel like a real movie. Yeah, I guess maybe because it's it's kind of like how you go to the parks and that's such an extension of these movies when you were a kid and now you feel like it's something tangible that they're going to. And I mean, I can't overlook the fact that I was just excited that we were getting a sequel to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I mean, we talked about it on the show last week. If you haven't gone back to listen to it, we suggest you go back and do so. That one was a lot of fun. But I was so obsessed with that movie that I couldn't wait to get to the theater to see this one. Interesting title that they chose for it. Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, because I don't think you realized back then, because like you said, you were just so excited we were getting a sequel, that it kind of sounds menacing. But like, yeah. really, what else were they going to do? Like, Honey, I Enlarged the Kid? Yeah, Honey, I Expanded My Child. Yeah, yeah it's sort of <laughs> sounds weird. Sounds terrible. Right. Um, well, listen, and, and I'm going to get into this a little bit when we eventually do our review of the film, but the 90s... They weren't really known for their subtlety. We were coming out of the big 80s where everything was, the hair was big, the shoulders were big, the music was big and over the top. And this was early 90s, so you still had a lot of those residual effects. And for sure. I mean, even look into the late 90s and some of, uh, some of the trends that you saw in film and in music, right? We've mentioned movies on here like Dumb and Dumber before. Um, Tommy Boy, music, like think about what, you know, the fashion that was what the Spice Girls was wearing or were wearing, I should say. The 90s, as I said before, they weren't subtle. They weren't quite as bombastic as the 80s, but it was still pretty close. So I think that a lot of what happens in this movie up to and including the title of Honey, I Blew Up the Kid it's, it's kind of par for the course when you think about it. Yeah, the 90s, it, it's almost like we were just kind of slowly fading out of the 80s. Like, maybe you didn't have your acid wash jeans, but you still had ripped jeans. 
you didn't have the huge hair, but you had crimpy hair. No, but we, we all just had kind of trailing off. We still had the overalls and uh, what were those jeans? The Z Cavaricis. Yeah, we all had I don't those. Remember those? Oh, we're I remember to... Jankos. Y- yeah, yeah. Well, that was that was like even later though. Yeah, and and that just got ridiculous after a while. At that point, it's just, you're wearing a skirt. I think they're coming back. Actually, I've heard that. That's one of those things where I, I I look at all of these bands from the '90s that I love so much, and they're starting to come back around. And there are a lot of things about the '90s I wish that would come back around. Jinkos are not one of those things that I ever need to see again. Yeah, some things, it's funny, I've been seeing on social media that are coming back, like those black choker necklaces for girls. And I was like, oh, I could get down with that again. And I've seen a couple of people have bought caboodles recently, which used to be like huge as a makeup case. Right. But there are some things like Jinkos where it's just like, no, leave it lie. Chain wallets. We're done. Right. I had a chain wallet. I had a chain wallet that I bought if I'm and I'm really dating myself now that I bought at the WWF restaurant in Times Square and it was one that said The Rock on it oh my and it God. had the Brahma bull and it had it had the chain it was a leather wallet and it had the other side was the clip it was a leather clip with a button and you would put it on your belt yeah, loop. Yeah, yeah. and i thought i was like the coolest kid in like 1998 walking around northport middle school with my chain <laughs> wallet and i would take it out and there was the brahma bull on it yeah i was guilty of plat- platform shoes i mean i'm i'm pretty short i'm only 52 so i was of the school of the higher the platform the better but sprained an ankle nobody needed those <laughs> no <laughs> Funny, though, you're the first person to go after Paul Stanley for wearing them. That's because there's a laundry list of things that I will go after Paul Stanley about, starting with his stage presence. But that's not what we're here to discuss. We're here to discuss Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. We are. And you leave my band alone. You leave my Paul Stanley alone. Never. Okay. Uh, um, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. Yeah. So, uh it's a continuation of the first film. Uh, the Zelinskis have moved to Vista Del Mar, Nevada, after Wayne has licensed his shrinking machine uh, to Sterling Labs. Diane is getting ready to take Amy to college. Uh, Wayne has to get to work at the lab, and Nick is concerned with asking a girl to a movie, and this is all while uh, baby Adam, who is the newest addition to the family, is keeping them all very, very busy. He's a baby. He gets out of his playpen. He gets into everything. Sterling Labs is having difficulty growing items with the machine and seem to be growing frustrated with Wayne and his lack of progress. Uh, Dr. Hendrickson, who is heading the project with Wayne, uh, being the most vocal. Um, while singing Adam to sleep, uh, Wayne looks at a balloon in Adam's room and realizes that if you hit your target uh, with too much energy too fast, you don't allow the molecules enough time to expand properly, and therefore you burst your target. Um, Wayne, Nick, and Adam go to the lab unauthorized on a Saturday, and Wayne attempts to grow Adam's favorite toy, Big Bunny. A power surge causes things to go haywire, and while Wayne and Nick go to settle things down, Adam goes to grab Big Bunny and is also shot by the laser, although the results are not immediate in terms of him actually growing. Back at the house, Wayne calls Mandy, Nick's crush, to babysit Adam while the boys go to the movies and have a little guy time and clear their heads. Uh, But while preparing 
Adam's dinner in the microwave, a surge of electric magnetic uh, energy causes Adam to grow to over seven feet tall. They disguise Adam um, as a grown man and attempt to sneak him back into the lab, this being Wayne and Nick, to fix the problem. But uh, they are intercepted by Dr. Hendrickson, who kicks Wayne off the project. They return home to see that Diane is home early, and her response to the news that um, Adam has been blown up is as to be expected. And it's not much different from what you saw in the first film when she found out that Wayne had shrunk the kids. Uh, Adam then goes on to inadvertently destroy the house, which catches the attention of their very nosy neighbors. Wayne and Diane head to the lab's uh, security warehouse to get his original shrinking machine so that he can shrink Adam back to normal size, and he leaves Nick to watch the baby. Mandy shows up for her babysitting duties to find Adam in his current state, and after settling down, they sit Adam in front of the TV, and then Adam grows again, because it's still that electromagnetic force coming off of the television. He breaks free from the house and then enters the neighborhood and wreaks some unintentional havoc. Wayne and Diane break the machine out of storage and return home to find out that Nick, Adam, and Mandy have been apprehended by the authorities. While transporting Adam along some heavy uh, heavy electrical lines, Adam grows again, breaks out of the truck that they have him locked in, and head towards uh, heads towards Las Vegas with Nick and Mandy in his pocket. Um, Dr. Sterling who heads up the lab, is brought up to speed on the situation, but upon taking pity on Wayne, Sterling fires Hendrickson and works with Wayne to find a solution. Hendrickson and the military plan on shooting Adam with a tranquilizer to settle him down because Hendrickson believes that uh, Sterling's gone off his rocker and the shareholders are unhappy, and if he's the one that can that can bring the situation to a halt, that somehow he's going to get his job back and be very wealthy and whatever. Uh, um, <laughs> what else do you want me to say? He's uh, going to lunch. Yeah, exa- it's exactly right. Wayne devises a plan to lure Adam away from the city with an ice cream truck um, where he can then shrink him back to his normal size. Because now Adam is, he's been drawn in by the lights of Las Vegas and he's, again, unintentionally wreaking havoc on the city. Um, So Nick and Mandy escape from Adam's pocket and fall into a convertible, but Adam picks it up and starts to use it as a toy car before putting it back in his pocket. Marshall Brooks, who is one of the authorities on the case, drives the ice cream truck out of town, blasting ice cream music while the casinos shut their lights off, drawing Adam away from the strip, but Adam catches the truck and then heads to the Hard Rock Cafe so he can play with their giant guitar that they have on display outside of the restaurant. Wayne and Diane decide that Diane needs to be grown so that she can settle him down because, of course, the mother needs to be larger than the child um, so that they can both be settled in one place and they can be shrunk back together. And they have this throwaway line about, oh, do you remember how we had Adam take his picture when he wouldn't settle down and I had to hold him? So they use the machine to blow up Diane so that everything is proportionate between her and Adam. Hendrickson opens fire on Adam out of a helicopter. Yes, I actually did just say that out loud. Um, (laughs) But Diane intercepts and they are then shrunken back to normal size. Nick and Mandy are also shrunk, but Wayne decides to give them some alone time before getting them back to their normal state. Um, 
I got to jump the gun just a little bit here, if you don't mind. Okay. Because there is something about this film that has been bothering me since we watched it the first time. And it plays into the screenwriting, and it plays into the script, and it plays into the characters, but I just have to get this off my chest right now. I'll allow. Lloyd Bridges is a very, very good actor. Mm -hmm. But Dr. Sterling is that guy from every disaster movie that slowly takes his sunglasses off and goes, oh my God. (laughs) Every, Every line in the book, every line in the book that has ever come out of a disaster movie, they somehow find a way to insert into his dialogue, you know, like things that you would hear out of like Independence Day, like, Mr. President, what do we do? We pray. You know, it's just like dumb things like that that have become the hallmark and the cheese of any action movie, of any disaster film. They somehow manage to make this character, you know, he, he he is just... A mass of every one of those characters. <laughs> he's a mass cliche. Ever existed. And he's also Captain Obvious. Yeah, it's not he, like he we're will... going to need a bigger boat where no. it's an obvious line, but the delivery and the impact of it make all the difference. He, he will look at something. For example, you're like 75% of the way through the movie. And Adam is like, what did they say? 200 feet tall or some nonsense. He's over 50 feet tall. And then he grew again, I think. Yeah, I think 50 is the last measurement that they got. And then I think he does grow a little bit more after that. But he picks up the car with Nick and Amy. And he's Nick play- and Mandy. Or Nick and Mandy, I we're should We're going to do that the whole time. because I, I, I wrote it quite a few times. I as Nick and Amy. I say Nick and Felicity at this point. That might make it a little <laughs> bit easier. Because the other than other than this, that's the only way I know Kerry Russell. Yeah. Um, but he's playing with this Lamborghini that they're in for a good two or three minutes, and he's like, "To them, he's to to him, they're just a toy. It's just a toy car." <laughs> Meanwhile, he's been going toy car, toy car, and and like playing with it as if it were a toy. It's like. Where were you in the restroom? Where were you for the last five minutes? And then, like after he says that, he goes, "It's just a baby in his toy car." Like you know, again, oh my god! Yeah, no, he may as well be holding up a cue card that says plot point. Yeah, plot point. Insert line here. Yeah. So that does play into the script and the screenwriting, but that's been bothering me, and I just had to get that off my chest right now. And I'm sorry that I jumped ahead with it. <laughs> Okay, that's clearly bothering you. That's not like you. So, script of the film. Did we need, in retrospect, did we need a sequel to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Probably not. But it made a lot of money. And as a kid, I thought, man, this is an awful lot of fun. I'll reserve my 30-something-year-old review for it for the end. But... Watching this film through the eyes of an adult now, um, yeah, I got to be honest with you. It's not that great. Way to bury the lead, Sean. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, did we need the sequel? 
know, but it's the one we got. So we're going to talk about it. Yes. Um, I will say this since you've already blown the lead. Um, you know, last week I talked about how Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I didn't say that it didn't hold up for me, but I as watching it as an adult, I couldn't embrace the kitsch as much. And I thought it was good and bad in equal measure, but the bad parts kind of really dragged it down. After seeing this, I'd like to retract that statement and say that, yes, it was good and bad in equal measure, but it eventually levels out. Now, <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you were really unhappy with the script writing, and you thought the screenwriting was a little remedial in the first movie. Mm. The first movie looked like, it, it has to look like Gone with the Wind now. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But that's why it's I'm glad that we did a back to back with this one, because, you know, after watching Honey, I Shrunk the Kids last week, I was kind of like, you know, I really used to love this movie and I don't want to pick it apart and I don't want to hate on it. Um, so now I'm I'm kind of like back to square one with it where I just enjoy it for what it is and I don't have to, you know, pick it apart. So I guess this film does serve a purpose now. I will give credit where credit is due. I do like where the movie starts. They I, did I, a great job setting up, yeah. They did a great job setting up. It makes sense in the timeline. Adam's the right age. Nick and Amy, they're the same actors. They reprise their role. Mm -hmm. Amy going off to college is the right age. Them moving to be closer to this lab. They've upgraded their home because obviously Wayne is making good money having licensed this product. Right. It all makes sense cool. I like the fact that you still have this zany Doc Brown house with all of the inventions around it. Wayne is still Wayne. Yeah, the time jump totally works and it addresses a lot of the things that we had talked about last week. Um, you know, like you said, the shrinking machine, not only did they move to be closer to this new opportunity, but you know, they have a bigger house. It got them the money that they needed. The arrival of of at, or Adam's very existence kind of addresses the marital problems that they were having because obviously they had another kid. Um, but I like that with all of these changes, they're still the quote unquote weird family of the first one because right. you said like it's the Doc Brown house and there's even more inventions and more modifications than they had last time. And I, I think that the setup to the film is good. You have Diane leaving with Amy because Amy's got to move into her dorm. That's what sets the that's what sets this entire film up, but I don't feel like it's something that was written in out of convenience. I do think that it makes sense. What I really like too is that we see Amy and it wasn't a throwaway line that oh she went off to college because they could have very easily done that. Right. No, um, mom's got to go away for business. Yeah, like Exactly. I yeah, I, I really do think that where it starts off, they made a lot of smart choices. The only thing that I wish they would have done was included some sort of throwaway line about the Thompsons. Because that was such a big part of the first movie was the friendship and the bond that they form with them. And they've been through such a life-changing experience together. You know, they're kind of like family now. So it's kind of like what happened. Right. Um they do mention it later on in the film when Nick is explaining what happened the first time. And it was like, yeah, us and the neighbor's kids. But I kind of feel like, especially because they left it where Amy's dating Russ, we should have had some sort of 
closure with the Thompson family. Right. And you don't get it at all. Um, that's about where that ends. <laughs> um, yeah, because the next thing we know is that Amy is leaving for school, but Nick has a summer job. Where are we? Right. It's it's sort of it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Like Nick has a summer job makes sense. You figure a lot of kids are moving away in August to start school, but they're making it seem and maybe it just wasn't written properly, but they're almost making it seem like this is kind of a new endeavor for Nick. Yeah, like he just started the job. Right. Here's what I don't like. When Amy leaves, she says goodbye to her father. She says goodbye to Nick. Does not say goodbye to Adam. Not at all. And then Diane leaves with, with Amy in the taxi cab. For the airport. For the airport, because they're flying away. We don't know where. Yeah, and, and to be honest, we don't really we need don't, to know. It doesn't matter. Um... And then uh, Nick and Wayne go inside because Wayne has to get to the lab. Nick needs to get to work. They leave the baby on the front lawn. It's funny that that's your issue with this because mine is that if Amy's going away to school where she needs to get on a plane, like as parents, don't you usually go and drop her off? I mean, the whole argument that they're setting up is that Amy doesn't want Diane to go with her. She's she's still Amy. She's still too cool for school. She doesn't want her mom there. She's starting college. Like, I get it. But, you know, don't you usually go see your kid off and like help them move in? That didn't bother me quite as much because in the next scene, you see that Wayne really is still in over his head and he's got this very unsupportive partner, you know, who's yeah. trying to figure out this shrinking machine. So I can sort of live with the fact that they're not both going to take her to school because he has to stay home. Plus they have a, you know, one and a half to two year olds. Right. That they left on the lawn. So that to your point, yeah, that's that that's bad. We see Wayne go into the lab, and he runs late, and of course, they're giving him a hard time. Now, I need to say, it bothered me the entire movie, even seeing it as a kid, it just bothered me that someone was being mean to Mr. Zelensky. Mm -hmm. But as an adult, I get really frustrated watching this because Hendrickson... It's not your technology. It's his. But it seems like he's trying to ghost him out at every possible turn. This is the guy that literally harnessed the energy. This is literally the guy who invented the machine. And it's like, you can't figure out how to use it. You don't want him to have anything to do with it. But what I really am bothered by, how can they not figure out the growth aspect of this machine when Wayne figured it out in his attic in the first movie before he even sold them the licensing? Right. I mean, that this makes guy, no sense. This guy is I'm going to lunch 2.0. Yeah. And I realize that you do need an antagonist for this film. And I do feel like it kind of works that like, yes, Wayne has all of this success with the machine now, but he's still the same Wayne. But I don't like that that's reinforced by him being bullied. Yeah. It, like, it's just kind of mean-spirited. I think it's too over the top. And I mean, I get where he was like this weird, zany scientist working out of his attic. And, you know, people thought, like I said, they were the weird family. But now to see him in this professional environment where he's being completely written off for his invention, that's the other thing. You wanted to take this on. You wanted his invention. Why aren't you 
you know, like, what are you paying him for? Let him work on it. Exactly right. The whole idea of paying him for the licensing is because you want the machine to work. So why are you not utilizing the person who invented the machine? Yeah, the thing, the, the, the entire plot of this film is shot within 10 minutes. Yeah. For every good thing that they did, it just collapses right here. They're trying to use the machine to grow a crystal, clearly for monetary gain. I wish they would have used an apple again because that's CGI. It was bad. Oh, my God. It was so bad. They made the crystal look like flubber, but not... It, it, it just didn't work at all. No, it didn't. So, okay, I understand you want to grow things as well as shrink things. But the fact that this guy in the first film shrunk and grew human beings twice. Because it wasn't just with the kids. He also did it with Big Russ. Big Russ was the test subject to make right. sure that he could do it properly. Mm -hmm. The fact that you can't figure out how to use it, yet this guy knows how to do it, makes no sense. Well, the other thing here, I'm also wondering if they're unnecessarily setting up a plot point. Because in the first movie, let's not forget, he's shrinking things and resetting them. And the way that they explain that was that he is essentially removing the empty space from an object and that's what makes them shrink. So I assume to reset, you have to put that empty space back. Here, they're trying to expand things so they're creating space. So I don't think it's as simple as using the same technology that resets somebody who's been shrunk. I think this is an entirely different animal. I'll give you that. That's valid. But even still, when Wayne calls this guy, first off, who eats dinner? Who eats a fine dine? Who has a fine dining yeah. experience in their office at the lab? Yeah, the, I was and, like, were we short on locations here? Yeah. You it, couldn't have done another scene at the Hard Rock? You have two gentlemen sharing a bottle of wine in a laboratory. They're big wigs at the company. I think, actually, the other actor, whose name in the film I can't recall because he's otherwise irrelevant. He's a board member. Yeah. I want to say he was the professor that failed Tom Cruise in the movie Cocktail. I think it's the same wow. guy. I didn't catch that. I did. But it's only because you want to talk about a bad movie that I can't stop watching? <laughs> Cocktail is on the top of my list. Without question. And I'm not afraid to admit that. We're going to refer to Hendrickson, by the way, now as I'm going to dinner. Yes. Fine. I'm, I'm all for it. Um, but when Wayne calls him to tell him that he figured it out, even then the guy's like, yeah, whatever, Zielinski, I don't want to hear it. Yeah. Again, your purpose is to make the machine work. If he's telling you he figured it out and your problems are solved, why are you not listening to him? None about nothing about this makes sense. Because he wants to figure it out himself. But he's he not a scientist. He wants to have all the glory. Doesn't matter. He wants Wayne out of the picture for whatever, you know, gain that he's pursuing whether it's money or the accolades i don't know the other the other question i have is do we know what they are trying to expand things for because no. i know there's a line where he says uh we should have apples the size of buicks right now like i don't know if they're just testing it to see if it works or like you know i, I was thinking like maybe they're trying to solve 
a hunger problem. That's why they want to do it with food. Like, is there something at work for the greater good here, you know? No, of course not. They want to take a crystal that, that you can, you know, or a diamond that you can get 100 necklaces out of and they want to expand it so that you can get 10,000 necklaces out of it. So it is all money. Of course it is. But that's what I'm saying. They never they never really spell that out. All they know is that they have to get the machine to work, but we don't know what the end game is. Yeah, this is me assuming that that's their that's their end game based upon the characters on screen and us seeing how they're sort of financially motivated to begin with. Right. But I'm not supposed to do that much work. It's not my job to be a detective and figure out their motive. Yeah. It's not a whodunit film where I'm supposed to be left guessing. But I digress. I do like how they planted certain things in the film, such as the toy car and the guitar. Yes. Mm-hmm. Those were the little subtle things that came back around that made a lot of sense. Similar to, well, no, not really. The whole playpen bit. Yeah. Where he bre- he broke out he of the He keeps getting out. He keeps getting out. Yeah, but I fixed it. Yeah, but I fixed it. They beat it to death. They did, but what I do like about this movie, and this is one of the things where it does get right, much like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, is like you put them tiny in a backyard, and it's like what obstacles are they going to face? Insects, lawnmowers, flooding from a sprinkler system. Like... Those are all plausible, legitimate things. I mean, not that I'm saying, okay, them being that tiny in a backyard is plausible, but I'm just saying those are all things that are going to get in their way. And in this case, they do it again where it's like, what is a baby concerned with? So that by the time you blow him up, it's like he just wants to play. That's all he wants to do. It's all he knows how to do. The difference between this movie and the first film, I said about last week, or I said it last week about the first film, that's a that's an adventure movie. Right. This is a straight comedy. I think that's the difference between the two. Because other than uh Hendrickson looking to shoot Adam with a tranquilizer, Adam becomes so big and powerful that nothing's going to hurt this kid. Right. Other than he's inadvertently putting other people in danger, there's no real peril in any of this. Right. It's not like, and they do make the reference at the end, it's not like Godzilla where he's just destroying things for destroying sake. It's that he wants to play. And, yes, we're going to point out that they do have the Japanese tourists that turn around and point and scream Godzilla. That would never fly today. No, that wouldn't happen today. I mean, granted, yes, Godzilla did take place, you know, I, I get the joke, but that wouldn't fly today. Right. Um, I do think that a lot of this movie, when you, you know, I, I do think that it is, I think it's legitimately funny, but a lot of the zaniness gets drawn out, unlike the first film. Yeah, like where, you know, once Diane is back home and they've explained, or, you know, Adam is revealed to her, they're chasing him around the house because he's trying. And I guess that's where the comedy does, co- does come in because he's just trying to play with his toys at his size. And he can't because, you know, he's throwing a ball at Nick, but he's pelting him with it because he doesn't know his size and strength. So that evolves because once he's huge, he's trying to find things that he thinks are toys, but he finds them at his size. Um, but yeah, that scene where they're like chasing him around the house and trying to settle him down, completely drawn out. 
And the whole, aw shucks, the boys can't do anything without mom in the house. I, I Again, I think that that mm. was very much of its time, but it was weak. It was really weak. It is because, it, it is in the sense because they're always so afraid of Diane finding out and Diane's reaction than actually setting it right. Like, same thing, you know, in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. He was more concerned with what she was going to do when she find out what he had done to the kids. And same thing here. It's like he doesn't care about Adam's well-being or what's going to happen. I mean, at this point, they don't realize the rate that he's growing or the potential that he's going to run away from them. But he's just more concerned with her getting mad at him than fixing Adam. They do kind of bring that full circle, though, in the end, because she's the one who has to go and regain control of him. And she volunteers. So she kind of has her moment. Um, there's a scene right after they burn dinner and they're relegated to eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches where out of nowhere, Wayne says to Adam, you know, the girls out of the house were have a guy's weekend. I thought maybe we could talk about the birds and the bees. It's a very bizarre line for a multitude of reasons. First off, it's coming out of the mouth of Wayne Zielinski, who of anybody on earth probably is not the one even though he's got three kids, is probably not the one person in the world you want to like have a conversation about the birds and the bees with. No, but I don't know that I'd want to do it with Big Russ Thompson either. No. Russell! Yeah, probably not. Here's how it works! Yeah. <laughs> um, well, anyway. Um, it's, it's strange for a number of reasons. First off, Nick is to the point in his life where he's in high school, he's got a job... You, you know, you got to figure he's at least 16 years old. You're past this talk already. I buy into the notion that Wayne never had the time to have the talk with him based upon the fact that Wayne was seemingly on the cusp of losing his marriage because he didn't have a, have a lot of time to dedicate. It seems like he's taken on more now that he's got this machine being licensed and he's bogged down with the lab. Yeah, I'll buy into all that. Okay, that I'll buy into. However... The fact that Nick is this old and you're only trying to have the conversation now seems a little bit weak. The other thing is, Diane does talk to Wayne about, oh, I think there's a girl that he likes. Okay, good jumping off point. Right. You want to talk about the birds and the bees? Okay, fine. It's not unmotivated. It's not unmotivated. But where's the drama after that? It doesn't exist. Nick saying something to the effect of, I don't want to have this conversation with you now. I should have had it with you years ago. Is this the girl that I like? And maybe like leaning on his dad for a little advice on on how he can like date Mandy. But none of that ever comes to fruition. It's like that line hits a wall and that's exactly what it hits a wall. And it's it's kind of done after that. It does come to fruition because eventually Nick asks Wayne if he was popular in high school. So I think he was trying to get his dad's take on asking her out. But when his, when Wayne was like, yeah, I was popular. I was president of the astronomy club. He realizes that his dad's not going to be able to help him in this situation because he probably wasn't as popular as he thought he was. They were some happening guys. Listen, here's where they had an opportunity to capitalize on a joke that didn't work on the first one. Why don't you make the French class joke? Like when Nick, when Wayne is trying to talk about the birds and the bees, why don't you have Nick say, don't worry, I already took French class. I'm good. Right. You had the 
more than an opportunity to deliver a punch on that one. I disagree in one aspect, though. Him asking his father, "Are you were you popular in high school?" Yes, it's 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 a way of him asking in a roundabout way about asking a girl out or how to date a girl. But the thing is, after that, other than Wayne giving them their quote unquote alone time. It they they never pick up on it. There's it never really other other than that. It doesn't really ever see a conclusion. That's true. You you know what I'm saying? Like yes, Wayne gives them alone time when they're shrunken. This being Nick and Mandy, but there's no build up to that. He he just all of a sudden has this you know realization that this is what he's going to do. I just feel like there was a lot of opportunity to really weave in a story in there, a coming of age sort of thing between a father and son that you could intertwine with this other drama and really have a strong story about them continuing to bond because they do have the throwaway line that Nick is forced to move away. He had to make new friends. He had to do this. Mm -hmm. He had to do that. But I never, you don't ever really see the strain on the relationship. No, you know what? And that's a really good point too, especially considering that science was always their thing. And they were clearly always closer because they were able to communicate on a level that Diane and Amy couldn't. And Nick is what eventually helped him fix the machine when they were shrunk the first time. So here, Wayne totally knows how to give him direction and talk to him when they're in the lab. But beyond that, he doesn't know how to deal with Nick growing up. Yeah. So I think it does kind of come full circle at the end where like he realizes that he's alone with Mandy and it's like, all right, I'm going to be a bro and I'll I'll let you have your time. And they kind of have like a mutual understanding. But you're right. There's not enough conflict throughout this movie with with their relationship. Yes. And to that point, there's really not. Like, yes, Nick and Mandy are in peril, but like the parents don't really care about Nick and Mandy nearly as much as they care about Adam. And they're with Adam the entire time, probably in worse danger than Adam is. Yes, absolutely. Um, Oh, look, mom's home early. Never saw that one coming. You mean to, again, Amy is flying on a plane away to college and you decided at the airport that you didn't need to be there? Like, I imagine you already purchased your plane ticket. You're just going to eat that? Again, I think very formulaic of movies of its time. You know, don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. At least they had some warning that mom was coming back and they had to clean the house up. But similar to how you had these these 80s teen films that I think Honey, I Shrunk the Kids tried to be a lot like, I think that you had this movie trying to be a lot like those zany 90s movies, Mrs. Doubtfire. While it came out after this movie, Mm. same thing. Mom comes home to the crazy birthday party and there's Robin Williams dancing to jump around on a coffee table. I just think that a lot of these movies sort of fell into the same habits. Mm. That's where the two movies parallel in terms of their filmmaking. They were pulling influences from things that were popular at the time. It was, oh, they threw this at the wall and it stuck. Let's use it. Mm. I will say this, though. I do like that Wayne finally addressed the cleaning invention and he did have a machine that would clean the house. I'm glad that you got your closure on that. That was your issue. Oh, that's right. That was, well, we both kind of had it. Yeah. Well, you were the one that brought up the vacuum and I said, well, 
he had the lawnmower working. Right, right, right. But even still, um, the dialogue, I mean, it is just very 101. We kind of touched on that before, especially with, oh, my God. But um, <laughs> and that's that's kind of how I'm going to refer to him <laughs> moving forward. There's a scene um, as the movie goes on when Adam is very, very large, when Diane sees him as being a giant for the first time. And what does she do? She grabs binoculars. <laughs> Good, you caught that too. Awful. Awful. I get if you were like, where are Nick and Mandy? And then grab the binoculars. But she grabbed the binoculars to look at the giant Adam. And then went, oh, there's Nick and, Nan- there's, there's Nick and Mandy. There they are. It's like they were the afterthought. Why would why did you grab binoculars to look at a giant? Yeah, and she's like, "Well, Adam looks okay." Like you can see that he's walking, he's fine. And then in that right around that same scene, um uh Mandy is like, "Oh, look what I found." And they go, "Yeah, what else is in this pocket?" You've been in this pocket for half the movie. You only starting to realize now what's in there. Yeah, the timing was bad, but I will say that I enjoyed seeing some of the sight gags of them being shrunk. I mean, technically they're normal size, but they appear shrunk because they're in giant Adam's pocket. Right. But, you know, Nick pulls out an M&M and he wants to start eating the chocolate insides. I I was kind of like, all right, it's fun. It's hokey. They they did the big props again. So I liked seeing those kind of practical effects. Yeah. Um, When they get into Las Vegas, Four Queens... Binion's Horseshoe, Circus Circus. Everybody gets a shout out. But how low budget was this film? Like, that is like Old Strip and dingy casinos. Like, nobody goes there. So clearly, you didn't want to shoot on the strip where you have like the Luxor and the MGM Grand and the Mandalay Bay and the Bellagio and the Mirage. I know way too many hotels in a city that I've never been to by the way but you know like I guess to shoot there costs like an awful lot of money and you did have to close down like that entire section of the strip yeah because they did shoot on location at least but these are like when when Maj has had enough <laughs> <laughs> and goes to find the loosest casinos in town. It's true. And then they end up at the Circus Circus with the $1.99 shrimp all you can eat. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, wh- why, of all the casinos that you could have gone to, why are you at these casinos? Well, I feel like this was when Vegas was kind of in transition because a lot of those places that you mentioned are newer hotels. So right now, where they shot this movie is considered old Las Vegas, but that's what Vegas used to be. I know, but a lot of those hotels were in existence because my parents had gone on their trip like less than a year after this movie came out, and those hotels were there. Right. I think it just came down to money. Uh, probably, yeah. That's, that's my guess. Well, I mean, you could also make the argument that Old Vegas probably does have more lights because it's got a lot of those garbage neon signs. True. You don't see that on the new strip as much. It's slightly more classy than that. Speaking of which, no city on earth would go out of their way to cause such widespread panic. Putting up 
the billboards, seek shelter, seek shelter, and then getting on the radio, <laughs> we have a giant baby wreaking havoc. Get inside. This is not a test. Like, yeah, that and the does news not happen. anchor who eventually like gives up on life at the end. <laughs> yes. Because like she just can't even believe what she's seeing anymore. When when uh, I think that's at the point when Diane gets big. Yes, yes, it was really kind of just hokey. Um, and how many times in this franchise is Nick Zelinsky nearly eaten? Yeah, I kind of feel like they did that as a nod to the first one, but I was kind of like, it's not the same effect as as being in the truth. And the other thing is, when did they ever plant that? Everything else with Adam, as far as sneaking out of the playpen, playing with the cars, playing with the guitar, they planted. He never tried to eat a car or any of his toys. Yeah. That was never a problem. Yeah. Sort of weird. I guess... That's what babies do. They put things in their mouth. So we're sure. just going to assume that, okay, I'll, I'll buy that. It's a habit. We just haven't seen it before. But he does know his brother's in that car. Yeah, and then he, he knows that it's his brother and his babysitter. Oh, toys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get it. The idea being they are toys to him now because he's gotten so large. But you know what they are. And, and let's talk about that for a minute. While we're on the topic of. Yeah, I was going to say, I actually like how they got them in the car. I thought that that was kind of because Adam falls and they they take that as um, their opportunity to escape. So they jump out of his pocket and into a car and then he sees the car and thinks it's a toy. So I kind of like that setup, how they didn't remain in his pocket the entire time. And there was like an added, you know, they raised the stakes a little bit. Yeah, but Mandy, where are you going? When 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 he sets that well, car on her yeah. foot, she opened that door. She opens the door and goes, "I've had it. I've had enough." And then opens the door and goes, "Ah, I'm in peril." Yeah, like yes. What? Where did you think you were going to go? What did you think was going to happen? I mean, I assume that she thought she could climb down. But the other thing is the way that the media and the townsfolk have blown this out of proportion. How is there not like the fire department with a net underneath her at this point? You I, I know? know. I know. I know. They swung and missed on a lot of really remedial things when you talk about what would happen in a natural disaster. Yeah. I, I'm wondering if maybe they burned all their energy talking about like the science between enlarging things because like that, you know, they do that kind of stuff really well. They set up a plausible explanation for how you could achieve that. Yeah. And then the dumb babysitter opens the car door and almost falls to her death. Yeah. When she's already hanging to her death. I do have to say though, that of course it's the same actor, but at the end when you have crazy haired Wayne and he looks like a mess, he looks so much like the gatekeeper, Lewis Tully, at the end of Ghostbusters. He totally does. But I like that they did that to um Sterling too. Yes. He had the crazy hair. Yeah. I think the biggest miss for me, and I touched on it before when we were talking about Wayne trying to explain the birds and the bees, is at the end. You know, they bothered to do it in the first one where they zoom back in and Nick is like, I get it, French class. Again, how do you miss on this one? He's in the car with Mandy. How do you not zoom back in and be like, I took a French class or something stupid like that? I mean, I took a lot of issue with them ending on that note in the last movie and I thought it was unmotivated and didn't make sense. But if you're going to beat the dead horse, they should have done it. 
they should have really gone for it. Yeah, I can live without it, but to each his own. Um, I do have to say that I think the sets in this movie are pretty good. I like the sets that they use when they make Adam look proportionately larger. And by that, I mean when he's in the house and he takes the door off and yes. when he can barely step through the front door and he's got the chandelier. Like, it doesn't look like, I mean, obviously it's a miniature set mm-hmm. made for the child actor who was very good, by the way. Yeah. He was really good. Um, but I thought that those sets were pretty good. Um, I agree. I like their new house. Um I like, like I said, all the modifications they made to it. I like uh, the lab setting. I think that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I agree. All the practical stuff, they did really, really well. Against the CGI, which was terrible. The thing is, some of it was good. Th- there was no middle ground. It was either good or it was awful. Or people were glowing. Yeah, like it just... For a movie that had a larger budget than the first movie did... And seeing as special as special effects had seemingly come a long way in the yeah, you're four years, a couple of years, five later, years, yeah. I don't understand how they looked so bad. Right, because at this point, like we're on the brink of Toy Story coming out, so you know it's not like the technology's not getting there. Right, because Toy to, uh, Toy Story came out like three years or four years after this movie, but it had been in development for many years prior leading up to right because the technology was pretty new so it just took them a long time i have to assume that they were semi working on it now at least so if you can do that how are there people glowing it just bothers me in any film where you have a movie where the special effects are so good a perfect example men in black Mm. the men in the first men in black movie the special effects the cgi all really really good Men in Black 2 comes out a few years later, and the special effects are unwatchable. Yeah. That's how bad they are. Yeah. And I I can't figure out how you took a step backwards. Right. And the same thing happens here. But what's even more frustrating is it's inconsistent. As I stated to you, some look good and natural, others are awful. Yeah. I I don't understand how that's possible. Yeah, like... All the stuff where he's in the house is great, but then once he's on the strip, most of it's good. But the part I'm thinking of is where he he pokes his head around the corner and says peekaboo. Yes. And I think it's at the Queen, uh, what is the it? Four the Queens. Four Queens. Yeah. Yeah. They clearly have a static shot of the street, and then they did, they, they shot him and blew him up in the background, and then they have the crowds running around the foreground. And that's what I'm talking about when the people are glowing. It's just so bad. Like the 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 lighting is off. Yeah. On on the people and on Adam and it doesn't blend with the street at all. No, and for for a strip of land that is known for being so bright with its lights, he looks sort of dark. Like they they didn't reflect light off of him properly. Yeah, and it's just it's a really harsh edge on both him and the people running around. Like it's it's just really not blended well. No, it's it's pretty bad. Um, I mean, that's about all I have on it. I know that you wanted to talk about the. Um, you had made a comment to me before we started about the uh, the animation. Oh, in the, the beginning. Opening. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that they kept that tradition, especially because we had talked about it last week. That uh, most people who who 
saw Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, they had the Roger Rabbit tummy trouble short in front of it. And then it goes into the cartoon in the opening credits. Um, So I was glad they kept that. But I just kind of felt like it was so much better in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I think it was a lot more fitting to the movie. And um, I was totally missing the music. You know, we had touched on it last week, but I feel like, um, you know, we it, it kind of got glossed over a little bit is how well that music fits with the whole movie. I mean, I'm not talking, you know, it's not a John Williams score. It's not Indiana Jones. It's not, you know, Jaws. It's not anything that's that iconic where it's so tied to the character. But I just think that that music is so perfect for this like mad scientist setup. And, um, you know, it wasn't the same. No, it's not that this was bad, but you're right. It wasn't quite as good as the first film. Um, I think in conclusion for me, I still have fun watching this film, but I think that's mostly for the nostalgia. I think that a lot of the things that they did wrong badly overtake the few things that they really had going well for them. And I just don't think the movie ages well. Richard Simmons is in a video and, Ad, you know, and Adam is running around in those Joey Buttafuoco pants. Like, there's just so much from an aesthetic point to a basic screenwriting level that I think just doesn't translate over. Am I never going to watch the movie again? No. I'll watch the movie and I'll smile at the kitsch. And I'll smile at the nostalgia and and watching it through the eyes of a five-year-old. But unfortunately, this just isn't a good movie. And I think with all that being said, if the first one had been the only film, I probably could have lived with it. I appreciate this one because it minimizes the flaw that I found with the first one. But I feel like if we're talking about what has more rewatchability... I, I think Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is like, that's what I'm going to gravitate to, 100%. No doubt. And, you know, the problem with this is, like I said, we found a lot of flaw with the first one, watching it through the eyes of an adult. They had the opportunity to address some of those problems here, and they didn't. And, you know, where I said that last week, there are some really great points to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and there's some really bad points, and it will eventually level itself out. This was a great setup, and then it it's just like downhill after that. Um, yeah, will I watch it again? Probably, but like if I'm feeling nostalgic, I'll definitely go for Shrunk as opposed to Blew Up. Yeah, but we and speaking of nostalgia, yeah, uh, we before we before we get to our news of the week, we do want to know what you guys have to say about it. Let us know which movie you prefer of the two uh, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Monoreal Radio. And yeah, uh, talking about perfect timing and nostalgia, last week we had mentioned that um, Disney Plus, which is going to launch this year on November the twelfth. Um, we had discussed how they plan on doing a reboot of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And I had said that I thought Jack Black would have been very good casting. And you had even agreed. Well, they didn't get Jack Black, but they got somebody, somebody who's... better, actually. And sort of in the same vein, though, in terms of sort of the quote-unquote 
kookiness and zaniness that they could bring to a Zelensky character. Josh Gad is going to be playing grown-up Adam Zelensky in the Honey, I Shrunk the Kid reboot. Yeah, that broke on Monday afternoon, and that sort of sent the internet into a frenzy. Um, So they're calling this a quote-unquote legacy sequel. I'm glad that we're keeping it in the family. I'm down. There, it, it's it's a reboot, but it's in the timeline, and they don't ignore what happened in the first three films. Because don't forget, they also had Honey, I Shr- Honey, Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves, which was a straight to VHS um, sequel. Which, by the way, we're going to skip over for now. Yeah, we'll we're get... not treating this as a trilogy, but we'll circle back to we'll it. We'll circle eventually. back to it eventually because I had that one on VHS as well. But I, I sort of feel like, okay, but then it's—is it a reboot or is it a sequel? I know they're using this legacy sequel thing, and it's a reboot, but it takes place in the same world. To me, a reboot is—it it, none of it ever happened. Exactly. But at the same time, I like that we're keeping it in the family. I like that it leaves the door open if they could get any of these actors back, like especially Rick Moranis, because he really hasn't done anything for a while. I'd love if they put him in for like a little crazy grandpa character arc. The only thing I kind of wish that Josh Gad was playing grown up Nick instead of Adam. I think he'd be too old. I think Nick at this point would be too old. I agree. Yeah, no, not Josh Gad as the actor. I, I think, yeah, if we're sticking with this timeline, Nick is probably too old. But I feel like he looks more like him. Like, I would believe Nick grown up would look like that, especially because he's got the, you know, those thick frame glasses already. Yeah. But I'm just glad that um, Disney recognizes what they have with Josh Gad because he's amazing. He brings so much to every role that he's in. Um you know, and they've got Frozen 2, they've got Hunchback. So I'm I'm glad that, uh, you know, they don't feel like it's too much with him. See, I wonder if they if they do have Hunchback coming. And I'm yeah, thinking I'm maybe if they, if they, they don't, a, because of, if, they had, on yeah, if they put a stop on it because of the unfortunate events of a few weeks ago where the cathedral burned down, I would imagine that Josh Gad was contracted for X amount of movies. Not necessarily you're you're contracted for this title. And I wonder if they're putting this on the back burner, the Hunchback film. So instead, he's getting cast in Honey, I Shrunk uh, the Kids in this reboot. I mean, I don't know. We're not going to know for quite some time. It's going to be years before we know the answer. It still works. It still works. So I'm I'm totally on board. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see this. I just hope they get it right. Yeah, I'd like to think that uh, they're going to address a lot of the holes. And I think that it's I think it's an interesting choice, but I also think it's a smart choice that it's going direct to the streaming service because I don't know that another Honey, I Shrunk the Kids film nowadays would perform at the box office. Right. You know, we, we talked about it last week, and, and part of the reason why the section of the park at MGM is closed, other than the fact that if, they would close anything at this point to keep expanding Star Wars. Um, <laughs> I, I just feel like most kids nowadays have not seen the movie, don't relate to it. So I think them putting it straight to the streaming service is a good idea. I think that they can still make a cinema-quality film but don't have to worry about putting it in theaters where they risk a box office bomb. Well, the other thing is Disney's not stupid. Who is the Netflix audience? Yeah. It, it's us. It's people who grew up on these movies and are now consuming 
the media in a different way. So you're totally tapping into the nostalgia factor and, you know, we're the ones who are into streaming. Yeah, but I'm I'm saying, though, in a day and age where it costs you $15 to go to the movies, it would behoove them if they wanted to, from a dollars and cents standpoint, it would behoove them to put it in the theaters where for the two of us to go see it, it's $30. Mm-hmm. For the two of us to watch it on the streaming service is $6. I'm telling you, I think part of this is strategic because if the movie, if they make a good movie, but it flops at the box office because... By and large, the audience doesn't care about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. They look at it as an embarrassment. They're never really going to know if it's a flop if it goes straight to the streaming service. No, that's a good point. Other than counting the amount of streams that it gets, they're never going to know if it's a box office bomb or not. Right. I'm a little disappointed, though, that we're not going to get the box office release because I think that this would be one of those films where 3D would be a great format to see it in. I think sometimes you get movies that are released in 3D and you go, why is this in 3D? I think a Honey, I Shrunk the Kids film in 3D would have been banging. We had one. It was called Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. But yeah, to build on that, that would be a lot of fun. And now you think about these like these crazy IMAX theaters where yeah. the, the seats rumble and stuff. I, I just, I, oh, I kind of wish... I get it, and I think it's the right decision, but there's a selfish part of me that wishes that I could have seen it in some IMAX. Listen, they took Captain EO out. They can very easily put this back in if it does well. Yeah, maybe. Tell us what you think uh, on social media at Monoreal Radio. Thank you guys so much for joining us this week. And don't forget, you know, if you want to go see any of these uh, wonderful parks or attractions that Disney has going for them, if you want to go see The Last Remnants of Wayne Zielinski over at the Journey into Imagination because we don't know how long that's going to stick around for. True. That might not be there forever. Jackie's your ticket in. Yes, get at me either directly through our social media or you can email me at j.zolezzi at magicalvacationplanner.com and I will help you start planning your trip. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.